You are now listening to Sweep the Rack Podcast featuring Brooklyn Rob and Big Mike. Are you really beating your chest over your League Tuesday night? Uh, yeah, what's up, homie? What's good? Dude, let's hear it. Let's get this started because we have a guest uh, waiting, and uh, he's a very important man who's got a lot going on. So uh, let's hear it. How'd Yo. you do League Tuesday night? Let's get a quick League review. All right, 600, you know, uh, one night. Oh, yeah, you don't got to no. quit the show, man. You don't got to quit. Uh, 190, the first game. Uh, yeah, I mean – it. it so the approaches, I can't even describe how bad they were. Right, that was that was really the story of the night was how bad the approaches were. We showed up, Rob. There were droplets of oil all over the approaches. We literally had to clean the approaches approaches ourselves. Um, so it, it was it was very frustrating to start because we really couldn't get our feet underneath of us. Took a little while for the approaches to kind of. Uh, you know, where, where in, I guess you could say from, from us cleaning them. And, uh, yeah, it was rather frustrating. You know, I mean, I, we, we, we have a guest tonight. Everybody, a lot of people are here to hear that conversation. I'm not going to get too deeply into it. We'll talk about it later, uh, perhaps towards the end of the show, but you know, it's always frustrating when you show up and, and stuff like that goes on, but 190, the first game, <clears throat> 180, the second game, missed a couple spares. Didn't, didn't throw all that many strikes the, the first and second game. Uh, just maybe one here, one there. A couple, couple shots that probably that could have struck but didn't. And then the third game, shout to my ball driller, shout to my ball driller, Dom Dorita, showed up for me on the Tuesday night to drill some stuff. He, one of the balls he drilled me was a Zen, and I took that the third game and used that, and yeah, it gave me a really good look. And I shot two thirty something the last game, and uh, you know that's how I got to six hundred. So uh, we 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 bowled the blind team. Uh, full disclosure. Uh, so, but we didn't bowl at a rapid uh, pace. That doesn't count, Mike. That doesn't count if you bowl blind. Yeah. You know, well, all right. For right now, though, it's the best I can do, and I'll take it. <laughs> so, I went to practice twice last week. Uh, I drilled some balls, you know. But listen, I told you guys before. That's why I enjoy bowling on the tougher stuff because you know, hey, if you don't do the right things, you're probably not going to score. So, Rob, big night tomorrow night. Big night tomorrow night. Not for me, for for the for the for sport bowling in this area, for the show. Knob Hill Country Lane. Shout to Knob Hill. Rob, we'll talk about a small. Remember, uh, remember for the final thought, the small world connection that you and I discovered last week. Because we got to tell people that. But shout to the manager, Karen. There, okay. Uh, I'm gonna have some sport patterns out tomorrow night. I got some friends showing up. GQ is showing up. I got some other bowlers showing up. I, I went around to all the people at my league last night and told them, hey, I have patterns out if anybody wants to come and practice. Uh, I'm actually bowling a match tomorrow night, Rob. I got a match. Uh, it's not really for money. It's 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 for uh, it's for a, a friendly bet. A friendly bet, bet that we'll discuss later. Uh, no, a friendly bet we'll discuss later. But I'm bowling. Uh, I'm planning to bowl a friend of mine, uh, Bobby Kerwin. Uh, very, very accomplished, uh, you know, league bowler, house bowler, bowls some UBA, bowls some tournaments here and there. Doesn't have a ton of experience on, uh, 
on, on sport. Uh, 7 p.m. tomorrow is when we're starting. I'm not going to live stream it, Rob. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna tape some of it, and then you and I are gonna see how it goes and how we can use it for the show. Uh, but we're definitely planning to try and use some of the stuff that I'm gonna be doing for uh, for content for the show. So I'm kind of excited about it. You know, obviously I feel good because I shot 600. I got a trunk full of new balls. So yeah, let's go. Nice. Well, congrats on the 600, man. We're all proud of you. You don't have to leave the show now. I don't have to do the show by myself. Um, even Yo, though I probably have a million thing. people on back. Funniest thing, I throw the second shot. I throw the first strike in the tenth to kind of like secure two thirty. And Lou Gaudio, who I bowled against the first week, and he he listens to the show sometimes. And uh, he he was pulling a pair away from me, and he shouted out to me. He was like, uh, "Yeah, tell them about that on the show tomorrow." And I was like, "You're right about that." I'm like, "I'm not going nowhere." Well, good job, man. We appreciate it. Um, so real quick, uh, you know what? Maybe I'll wait till after next week. But I did. Go to the private taping of the CP3 charity event last night. If anybody follows me on social media. Yo, you hear this guy over here? Big time. Yo. Big, so Big time Brooklyn Rob. So I, I was able to see Bill. Haven't seen him in a couple of years since pre-COVID. Um, so that was cool. Get to spend some time with his kid, uh, who's, by the way, a big WWE fan. So you know he's raising him, right? Um, and, uh, yeah, so real quick story. And then it's we'll okay get to our for guests. kids to be in it. Kids believe I'm, in fantasy. It's adults. Well, <laughs> it's adults that I have a problem with being into it. But yeah, hey man, I, um, I don't have the time to watch these days. There's too much hours involved. Um, so I'm, I'm. Here's a story about Coley. So uh, me and Bill were um, standing here just talking, and Bill, you know, asked Coley if uh, Gavin could come sit with him on, you know, in, during the show. And uh, they, were, you know, Coley looks at, at Gavin and says, "Yeah, absolutely." And then she directly looks at me and says. If he's on his best behavior, he could sit with you guys too. And I I literally was like, oh, God, she watches the show. No doubt in my mind. After all the shit that I give her nonstop, she watches the show. So, hey, Coley, I know you're listening. Shout out, Shout out to Coley, man. Hit me up, call me. Uh, so, anyway, Mike, we got to – Yo, that's uh, cool, man. I'm glad you got to go. I'm glad it worked out. You know, it happened to be out in your area. That's awesome. Um, you know, yeah, and I think I think we'll talk about it a little bit more after it airs, no? Yeah, after it airs, I I can't disclose any of the results, honestly. Uh, but it was fun. It was cool. I was in the crowd for a little bit. Was in the backstage for for a while. So, Mike, en- enough about us because this is a special night. It's Thursday night. We're normally on Wednesday nights, obviously. Um, we have uh, you know, reason I was at the the charity event last night. Um, so we do have a, a great guest, first time guest. Uh, I, I, I know it's, uh, we've had some conversations a lot about the USBC and what happens in the back in, behind the scenes and what they're doing and, you know, just questions in general we have, and I know a lot of our fans do. So Mike, I'm excited about our guest tonight, Chad Murphy, the executive director of the USBC. Yeah, executive director of USBC since 2014, I believe. Uh, also a very accomplished bowler himself. Uh, has a very deep background in bowling. I'm sure we'll touch on that a little bit. Uh, Rob, you know, you you and I have talked to to Chad a lot uh, out, outside of our show. Uh, we had conversations with him. He's offered us his help. Uh, so, yeah, it is cool for us to be able to have him on. Uh, there's definitely that mutual respect there in terms of all of us being into into bowling and, and being high-level bowlers in some way, shape, or form. So, uh, yeah, let's bring him on. Welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Chad, what's good? Chad, I've, how are you? I've, I've arrived. Sweep the rack, man. Uh, 
So I feel like this is, you know, I finally got here. Uh, and so I, I just appreciate the invite. No doubt. And anytime you have an open invite to come on anytime you want. Um, so you're the executive director of the USBC, but as I said in the intro, you have a very deep background in bowling. Can you just, you know, quickly give, give the people some history of, of what other roles you've held in the bowling community? Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, just to try to be brief, I grew up in my grandfather's bowling center. He was the GM. Uh, people ask me, you know what I mean? Uh, what, what's your, you know, educational background. And I, I tell everybody I got a degree in bowling. And so when you, when you really think about it, my grandfather's bowling center turned into, you know, the land of misinformation is one of those things that I was hoping you were coming with first, because generally speaking, you just did it and saying I was a very accomplished bowler. Uh, when you put me against a lot of other folks, it's really not true. But at the same time, I had a, you know, kind of interesting path uh, through the bowling. But while doing that, uh, I opened up a pro shop, opened up a second one, ended up working for Columbia 300 for a number of years, Columbia Industries. I kind of made my way through that, started out as a marketing coordinator, uh, was a tour rep on the tour as a contract employee before that, which was a lot of fun. Um, then went into the marketing department, then moved over to sales account manager. Uh, when Columbia got sold to Evanite, they were nice enough to offer me a position to move forward there. Moved to the campus uh, in 2010 as the BPA youth director, um, you know, started a really cool journey there that was really rewarding and in servicing youth bowling for the campus here for about three and a half years and then executive director. But, uh, you know, it's been a lot of fun, man. People ask me why I keep doing it. And I said, hey, you grew up in your grandfather's bowling center. This is what you try to do. This is what you, you, know, you try to be. So uh, I appreciate you asking the question. Yeah, we appreciate that background too. And also, if you go on YouTube and you Google uh, oh some some World Team Challenge uh, old shows, if you're like me and you're on YouTube in a black hole of old World Team Challenge shows, you might see a young Chad Murphy pop up throwing the ball on uh, on some tough conditions. Rob, I know as a as a rep, Chad also laid out a ball you told me for your for your brother uh, who shot 300 with it at the U.S. Open. It was a Green Messenger. Uh, my uh, the tour repping was so much fun. And again, you know, working for a ball company is, it's fun in a lot of ways too, but, but being able to, you know, communicate with a bowler and try to understand what's needed. And uh, Mike, I appreciated the way you went about that with your pro shop guy. Cause those guys don't get enough, don't get enough props. Uh, you think about the ecosystem of a bowling center and how important a pro shop operator is to it. So I appreciate you giving those guys those props, but those are tour reps. Right. You think about it. They're doing the same thing locally with folks. And, and I say this very respectfully. They're doing that with people locally that don't have a, a don't know how to bowl for the most part, where tour repping, you get to you know have a conversation with Bill O'Neill, uh, the best player of the world who already knows how to bowl. And so it's just about trying to help and, and, and make things better. But, yeah, I appreciate the way you went about that. No doubt. No question. So here's why. Here's why Chad's really here, folks. All right. So somebody, somebody who tunes into our show, you know, they say in Philly, they say the streets are talking, but around here, it's the, it's the lanes that are talking and somebody, some bowler who watches our show hit chat up and, 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 and I think this is a quote, uh, described our little weekly meeting that we have with the people here, uh, a land of misinformation. Is that, is that correct, Rob? Do I have that sounds, right, Rob? <laughs> it sounds about right. Uh, I mean, personally, 
I kind of feel like we give good information. I, I'm not going to say we give like a hundred percent, you know, factual journal. We're not journalists here. We've said multiple times in our show that we're educated fans who like to speculate. Okay. So, so Chad, you know, that's the word on the street. We, you know, we invited you here. Where do you want to start, man? Set us straight. Oh, I don't think it's, you know, I don't know about setting you guys straight when you think about that, but the conversations that you choose, I think at times, uh, promote an error of, of maybe what's wrong instead of what's right. And, I, and that's how I would describe it. But the text that I got specifically did say that. I shared that with Rob. Uh, <laughs> so I did think that's pretty funny, but you guys know I've been watching the show off and on for a long time. Uh, but it actually it was a good thing because the text brought me back to the show I hadn't watched in a little while, uh, and I got to you know learn about your your sport bowling and and the adventures of you know uh, that journey of the last three weeks and some of the other things that go on there. But I think the biggest misconception is you know league bowling and and why it's declined and what's needed and those types of things. Uh, you know, there's certainly some data to go, you know, with those conversations that I would, I think would be helpful. But like I've always said, if you guys were really digging into a conversation and you wanted help with the, the data, we would provide it. Um, and so when I got the text, I reached out to Rob and said, Hey, is it a good time to trade some paint? <laughs> uh, and so that's why I'm here. All right. So let, let's start with league bowling then. Rob, is that okay with you? Is that a good starting spot? Yeah, I think it's it's on everybody's mind. I mean, it's such a big part of like mostly every high, highly competitive bowler uh, will bowl league uh, at least once a week. Um, so I guess let's start with I guess the first question to me is like, why is league bowling declining, especially the membership, right, um, of the league bowling? Uh, and I know just from your state, uh, uh, I think you do like a yearly report where we – reported where I think about almost four to five percent of league of league bowling is declining yearly. Is that is that sound about right or Mike correct? No, I actually I actually highlighted this this part of of your uh, your press release that you put out. And it says at this point, the data shows that the dues increase had no measurable impact on membership. USBC membership has been declining at a rate of four point nine percent to six four percent each year. It looks like we will end this season with a decline of 5.8 or less. So while that was in reference to the effect of the dues increase at that time, uh, you know, really what you're pointing out there is that the average uh, decline in membership is between 4.9 and 6.5. So, yeah, I think I think it's a fair question to ask why that steady decline then. Yeah, I mean, I. I I, I can't do anything, you know, but but give you what I know. And, and this was something as a bowler that I spent no time thinking about. But when I came into this side of it, obviously, I spent a time, a lot of time researching. If I were to, you know, try to get folks to learn more about this, which, you know, my first piece of that is to say, hey, it doesn't really matter. All we have is what's in front of us. And so placing blame on who or what and those things that happen. But what I learned from trying to figure it out, if you're interested, there a book, there's a book, it's called Bowling Alone. And so I would encourage all of your uh, watchers, your folks that, that frequent your show to go out and find that book and give it a read. Very little of it's about bowling. It talks about social, economical uh, things that happened, uh, where folks live today versus where they, they live then, real estate values. Um, 
I've given seminars about this in the past, and I always say the number one reason why bowling decline was because of real estate values. I mean, the, the, the value of the of the property, the, the, the hard piece of, of, of real estate became more valuable than the business. Um, and, and that'll be, in some cases, bowling centers that have 1,900, 2,000 league bowlers. We just had one close a few years ago at 1,896 league bowlers, and it closed because they got an offer on the property. And so, but when those properties uh, move, we don't keep all of those bowlers because one of the things that happens is when, when people bowl somewhere, they, they likely won't drive more than eight to 10 to 12 miles to do something regularly. And so do we have bowlings in locations where people live? And so that's a big part of it. When I get to the second, third and fourth reasons, you know, and everybody goes to ball technology and we can certainly get into that and scoring and those things, those are way at the bottom. And again, these are all things that, that can be proven through data mining and those types of things. I sent you guys a note that showed the honor scores going up. We lost 30% of that decline in membership over a 10-year period before resin balls came out. I mean, you think about that and you think about how it's really not technology. The other thing is that, again, when I was growing up, uh, you had mom bowling on the, you know, Wednesday morning, Wednesday afternoon, dad was bowling in the Tuesday night scratch league. They both bowled together on Friday nights and then the kids bowled on Saturday morning. What's mom doing today? She takes, you know, taking care of, you know, working. She's working, working. actually. Yeah, she's professional. Back in those days, she was at home. And so she's taking care of the family as well. I should say that too. You know, my, right. my wife does double duty. Yeah, that's what I was just getting ready to say. Moms have two jobs today, right? One of them is taking care of the kids, and then the other one is is actually helping a career. And so that was a big part of it, uh, was that shift in the, the social family environment. Divorce rates have gone up, so you got split families. You think about all these things. All of those things had a dramatic negative impact on our, on our business. Uh, and when I say our business, I'm talking about you know, you and I competing in a league, but but all the way down to, you know, the proprietor trying to get those folks in. And so then as it declined, bowling centers closed, almost 12,000 bowling centers down to, depending on how you count them up, 5,500, but traditional league centers, you're talking about more like 3,800 today. And so are we even positioned in some cases where people can get to us? And And then on top of that, what is the experience that someone's having in a league? And that's where you get down to what they want, consumer demand, those types of things. But I would tell you, a lot of those things that I'm talking about here had nothing to do with bowling. There's no blame to place on the folks that came before us or those types of things, how technology evolved. I think everybody did their best at the time. But at the same time, uh, there were some larger factors. Uh, in Sports Business Journal this morning, I, I read this cartoon. If you're interested, check it out. But it's basically a dad reading a newspaper a son on his phone, and then a daughter on her phone. And the the uh, uh, the dad's reading the newspaper, and he says, I can't believe Tops got out of the trading card business. And the kid's reading the phone, and he says, what's a trading card? Right? And then the, the little girl who's smaller in the picture says, what's baseball? <laughs> right? And it's an analogy that can be played in a lot of different things. But, but people are just doing different things and, and, and the time and the commitment and 36 weeks and all those things that go with it. But I would tell you real estate values are number one. Uh, the family and the way that it is operated today with, with mom having two jobs in some cases 
uh, is number two. And then some of those other things come in. But again, from, from essentially 1969 to 1990, uh, over half of the decline took place right there. And so, I mean, when you think about that, we didn't even have reactive balls at that time. The honor scores had just started to tick up. Um, and so that was, those are the pieces that, that I don't think people talk about or understand that are true. You know, with all due respect, though, Chad, I mean, that that kind of sounds like something out of a Malcolm Gladwell novel to me. Sure. You know, it's 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 nice numbers and research and interesting reasons is for the decline in bowling. But, you know, bowling hasn't done anything to change bowling. But for the, the, the decline that we've seen going on for many, many years has continued for many years and things have generally stayed the same. You mentioned it yourself, you know, in terms of the way that we do things with 36 week leagues and three game league sessions and, you know, the, 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 the easiness of the lanes keeps getting more pronounced and more pronounced as time goes on, you know, as a bowler myself, again, I, I, I think all that is interesting information and I'll definitely pick up the book that you suggested and read it. I'm an avid reader myself. But I got to say, you know, from inside the bowling community, and I know you're somebody who's inside the bowling community, these other factors that you're ranking at the bottom of this list, you know, at least where I'm at, at least with the people I talk to, the real bowlers, they have a lot to do with why people are not coming back to the game. If it, if we were providing a better experience for, for the consumer, maybe they would be more willing to, to uh, make the, a better effort, even if bowling centers are closing to try and still participate in some way, shape, or form. No? Well, let's dig into that a little bit then. Let's dig into the technology and the scoring because your your position there is that technology, and I, I presume that scoring has got out of control. I know that's one of the things that was said. But Chad, come on. But scoring, the increased scoring for bowlers like us has ruined the game. Well, and again, It has driven so many bowlers like myself, like you, like Rob, out of the game because there's so few opportunities to play the game in a real way. And, and we don't, a lot of us have no interest in participating in it, in, in, in that fashion. If I, so, could, if I could disagree with you, I will. And here's why, right? And this is the hard part. So sport bowling was introduced, introduced in the early two thousands. It was available to everybody like you and I, and out of, you know, two and a half million bowlers at that time, that program at its height, had roughly 40,000 members, had 40,000 people that were interested on in bowling something uh, hard. And when you say that, and you're talking from your perspective, I get it. How big is that group by percentage against the larger group? When, when bowling had 9 million participants, how many of them wanted to bowl on something hard? Well, at that time, it was all hard, right? It was plastic balls. Uh, it was wood lanes. Uh, bowling has evolved and bowling has changed. Maybe you don't see it as a positive, but I would tell you in my you know little piece of, of life here, which is now you know roughly my entire life within bowling, if you think about wood to synthetics, you think you think about uh, manual scoring to automatic scoring. You think about uh, all of the things that came in a, a thirty thousand dollar lay machine, thirty five thousand dollar lay machine that that you can run down and back. Uh, before each league setting. Those are all technology advances that really have had bowling evolve. And yeah, the scores went up, but here's one for you, Mike, that you may not know. From 2001 to 2018, the median scoring only went up by two pence from 151 to 153. 
Chad, what do you do? You bowling? Do you bowling? Let me finish the thought, and I'll come back to that. All right. Right now, at the high end of the game, which are the honor scores that you're talking about, how many people really is that? Right. And so you think about all of these honor scores and all of these multiples. You know, Adam Bard has got you know more than we could even count, more than I'll ever have. And you think about all of those things. How many different people are we going to talk about? You're talking about your one piece of the world. And how big is that against the pre-COVID 1.2 million members? Because pre-COVID 1.2 million members, I can show you data that will show you nobody wants to bowl in that sport league you're, you're talking about bowling in. And so then how does a bowling center proprietor operate its business successfully if he or she uh, can't give the consumer what they want? Mike, the answer to your question about bowling league, because I don't want to duck the question. The answer is no, I don't bowl league uh, today. Bowling in an office league here when I can. Uh, but but bowling out in the marketplace with this job is a little more problematic than, than you think uh, in, in some cases. And again, I say this only as reflective. It's not because I don't want to. I miss it. You know, my wife and I bowled Friday nights before we got here. Uh, that opportunity for me came and went with my car getting heat in a parking lot. Uh, walking in with my my kids. And so I just share that. It isn't because I don't love it. It isn't because I don't follow it. I do. Uh, but at the same time, uh, your piece of the world is how big in the larger world. And from USBC's perspective, we govern the entire ecosystem. And so everything I told you earlier, it's not a Malcolm Gladwell novel. It's the facts. It's the data. It's the truth that comes with these conversations. And yeah, but, you, but Chad, let, let me ask this, okay? So, so you're you're talking about consumer demand, and you're talking about what the majority of USBC members you're saying what they want. Okay, Correct. I'm talking about a minority of USBC members and what they want. But here's my problem with this, Chad. The USBC is the governing body of bowling. Okay, the USBC's main role in bowling, to me, should be to uphold the integrity of the game, uphold the integrity of the sport, and 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 clearly, from what you're saying, at some point that transitioned into being about consumer demand and what people want and what proprietors want. And, no, I, and they want, hold on, let me finish now. Okay. And, and they want easy scores. So that's what we have to give them. And honestly, Chad, if the BPA, BPAA wants to worry about that and put out easy conditions for the bowlers, that's fine. If, if, if Bolero wants to worry about that and put out easy conditions for the bowlers, fine. But to me, you guys at the USBC should be upholding the integrity of the game. And there is no integrity left in the game anymore. And that's not true, and here's why. You're bowling in a sport league on Tuesday night. You bowled Yeah, and you just and said no one wants to bowl them. Hold on. Let me so it's, it's, you know, I mean, the, the, okay. So the integrity of the game is diminished to the point where there's almost no integrity left. Is that yeah, better? It's, no, it's there for people who choose it. What USBC does is govern for all. You guys had a conversation a couple weeks ago, I'm not sure it was, where you were talking about there should be one lane pattern and USBC should mandate it. Would it be any good to do that knowing that most of those leagues would go uncertified if that mandate was put in, rather than the governing body saying, hey, here's a choice. Uh, I don't know if you guys are aware, but on our website, if you go to the equipment specs page and you go, we offer a choice three ways to bowl, standard, uh, challenge, and sport. And so if you choose to bowl in a sport league with your group that wants to go do that, we have governance for that. If you want to step up a level, uh, make them just a little bit easier, but not, you know, crazy league tips easier, uh, we, we provide an opportunity for that. And we will classify your league as challenge in our system. 
And if you want to make them hard and do sport, and so we're offering you within our governance structure that integrity that you want. Uh, but we're also offering the other side of that. And then it's up to the locals. The, the point that, that, that I want to make for sure when it comes to the consumer demand, right? Every league has a choice in that league meeting about how they want to operate. There are some good sport leagues in the country, and they are very well attended. But it's by a small, small audience. But to force that on the larger group is where that thought fails, in my opinion. But as a governing body, again, when you talk about integrity, look at how we run our tournaments, right? They're all on sport patterns from the kids all the way up to the senior masters last week. We conduct all of our events in that way. League is a different body because again, you've got to offer choice to the consumer so that they can choose. And the place that they choose is inside that league meeting. If you, I had a guy call me, four or five years ago. He said, well, aren't there any scratch, scratch leagues anymore? And I said, do you want one? And he said, yeah. I said, hey, here's a concept for you. Go go put one, go organize it. You get enough people to bowl, that provider will take your money. They absolutely will. They're running up a, a, a scratch league right now, uh, which is a draft league that's still running since then. But but the point that I'm making to the consumer demand is, is very important, right? We're a membership organization that's run by our members, right? The decisions are run by our members. So we're made up of people that want to bowl in these varying different ways. And so we offer that. But again, as I, at our highest integrity events, uh, they're all on sport patterns and they're very tough. Look at the Open Championships. I mean, 33-50 won this year, I think. Uh, yeah, but isn't, isn't that sort of hypocritical then? I no, mean, to say, to say, well, we serve this, this great majority of people who clearly want to bowl on softer, easier conditions – and then our major event that we hold, where the majority of the the bowlers at that event are those people, we're going to make them we're going to make them impossible. I mean, that makes uh, no sense. I disagree. And again, when you say they're impossible, they're not impossible. That's a you know. And uh, for, for those people, they are Chad. If they were impossible, thirty three fifty wouldn't win. And, and that's Chad, come on, you're being disingenuous. The thirty three fifty is people that really know how to bowl. They're not your average league yeah. bowler who's going out there and, and, and getting their brains kicked in by pro bowlers think who, the, you know, come the, on. Think about the options it's given. And, and Mike, I listen to you, you say this all the time. All that's nonsense when, when Rob gets going on his WWE. This is kind of the same thing, right? When, why do we offer three divisions at the Open Championships? We offer three divisions. I gave you the 3350 that wins the event. What I didn't give you was the second or the third division, which is much, much lower than that. What's the biggest division at that tournament? It's the middle division, right? And so, it's, it's growing. We, we reposition the, the event by 40%, 40% and 20, but we haven't had to come back and redo the shift yet. But the point that I'm making is, Mike, is as a national governing body, and again, you guys make a lot of analogies to golf and some of these other things. I mean, 27 under won a PGA Tour event a few weeks ago. Technology has massively advanced in all of these sports. But, but again, it, it isn't necessarily why people are going or coming. I mean, if, if that were true, why do roughly 18, 17, 16% new bowlers come in every year, right? That 4% decline that we talk about, that's a lack of retention moving back and forth. But, but very few people at the top of the game uh, aren't there on a regular basis. It's the people that are coming in for the entertainment value that come and go. And again, that shows up in the data too. And again, you asked, is it hypocritical? 
The answer is no. And here's why. Because the consumer's choosing it. If, if what you say is true and more people wanted to bowl in scratch leagues or on tougher conditions, they would be because they would have people that value it in their market and their league meetings would turn into that. Yeah, but Chad, you're 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 acting as if a lot of those people are are keenly aware of the other side of the game. And my position is that honestly, a lot of them have no idea that the other side of the game exists. That's yeah. how bad it's gotten. There's yeah. league bowlers that shoot scores, and they literally think they're better than the best bowlers in the world. It's always Come been on. True. That's always been true. There, there isn't one time. No, no, that that, that, that wasn't always true. There was a time where if you if you did shoot great league scores, you probably could go and compete with some of the best bowlers in the world. Uh, but we've gotten would, so far away from that now. I would well, no, look, but, but again, but, but I want to be clear about that one. Uh, there's no better bowlers in the world than on the PBA tour. That's a fact. Clearly. And we so can all agree on that. Anybody that have that opinion, you're right, is completely misinformed. But again, so, they hold on to say that group yeah. that you're talking about, they don't want to go to work all day and then come in and average 199. They want to chalk up those 300s. And if they don't, they're at the front counter yelling at the, at the proprietor because they're not easy enough. And yeah, so but, but but saying Mike, 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 Mike hold on, but hold on. let me make a saying, point. Here. Hold on, saying that hey, that's just the way it is, and that's the way it's going to be. No, I'm sorry, Chad, that's, that's bullshit. We got to do something about that. Again, we can't ju- we can't just be happy about uh, there being two sides of the game and say, well, this is what people want, so we're going to keep it like that. No, we got to bring the integrity back into the game, whether those people want it or not. Just let me be clear about what you're saying, because, again, you're, you're moving off uh, to make a point, and I get it because you got the ED on the show, right? We're offering three options, Mike. You can choose. Everyone can choose. For us to mandate, uh, to mandate an option would mean less governance, more uncertified, a more chaos. It wouldn't mean more people bowling on sport patterns. It would just run those people right. off. I'm okay with it. I, I, I know I know you have more to worry about in terms of dues and membership and things of this nature. But Chad, listen, if the membership's dropping five five percent to six percent a year, eventually we're not going to be left with much, whether it's on the majority side or the minority side. So yeah. you know you you can paint it as oh, it's good because we we control ninety percent or eighty five percent of all league bowlers who sanction sanction with us. But at the same time, if you keep losing a certain percentage of them every year, the, the pool of bowlers is dwindling. And that's why I asked you if you bowl league. I wasn't trying to, you know, oh, uh, set you up. Hold on. Set you up is like, oh, you don't bowl league. Here's what I wanted to say. When I go and bowl league, Chad, I got to be honest, I'm shocked at how bad the average, you know, the average league bowler is. I mean, it's, it's like I used to go to leagues where you would walk in and it would be Really, really good quality bowlers all around. And the, the, it's gone. All those bowlers are gone. And I know it might be a minority to you, but to a lot of us, that's the side of the game that matters. But two things I just want to state there. No, and, and Rob, I know you want to get in here. Uh, I'm sorry, Rob. I'm sorry, Rob. I swear to God, I, I might as well just log out. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The first one is, and Mike, I want to be clear about that because you, you put some words in my mouth there. I never said it was good. I, I never said it was good. Right. So I want to be clear about that. But but the job here is to offer a product uh, and govern it through the integrity of it so that there's structure and standards within it. 
uh, within the competitions that take place, rules and standards of the game. Uh, and so when you think about that, you know, it, it's tough to just say, hey, it's only one way or you're out. And, and just think about what the world would look like if that were the case. You guys had a conversation, I'm not sure, about league prize funds, right, and the money in sport, in the sport. And we can certainly – but, but I, I think the point that I'm trying to make is it's not somebody's failure uh, that we have this large – where's the, the, the look at it at the positive, right? Who has more members – let's count them up. Who has more uh, members organizationally as a national governing body than USPC of the 53 NGBs that are members of USOPC? How many? Name them off. I don't know. I, honestly, you, you lost me with all the, all the acronyms there. <laughs> the answer is zero. Bowling Obviously. Has more, I mean, bowling has more members as a national governing body than golf, than tennis. Uh, than all of these other things, but we don't look at that as the success that it is. And so could it be because we're offering a choice? Could it be that we have value to the, the lady bowling at 10 a.m. on Thursday morning, but also the scratch league bowler on Tuesday night? Could it be that in some cases those folks want those high scores, and so we're able to deliver that, but also offer to you an opportunity to bowl on Tuesday night and bowl 447? Right. And so, I mean, you think about that. That's incredible that we're able to do that. And again, it's not a product of, of us here. All bowling is local. And you think about that. And so who wants what? And then what are they willing to get a group of people uh, to share in terms of those wants? If enough people wanted scratch leagues, that's what that's what we'd be doing. Rob, get in here. So I guess my big my big issue here is the fact that we, we talked about you know forty thousand bowlers being at their hot, the height of the sport of sport bowling, and I, I I don't know what the number is now what the membership of sport bowling is, but I'd imagine it's dramatically probably not at forty thousand. Um, so uh, essentially, a lot of people bowled sport conditions and they got frustrated and they decided they didn't want to bowl league and anybody out there including mike who had a struggle to get like 13 teams in his league right so people yeah. obviously don't want to bowl sport um and i think a big reason for that is the fact that um there isn't a, enough uh, education out there for for bowlers for league bowlers to become better um i feel like I know, Chad, we talked about this earlier um, where I went to a golf course or driving range and I saw a lot of people that were, 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 were there giving tips, giving lessons that, you know, were really in the golf and they were really educated on the sport. I feel like bowling, the reason why there's so much, you know, like regular league house bowlers that want to bowl on high sport or high conditions and they don't vote in leagues is because they don't have enough education to educate them on or coaching in the sport. There isn't enough coaching out there in general. We talk about this all the time, Mike. Um, and I, I don't know if that's something like that, you know, that, that that's maybe some kind of initiative that the USBC is down the road where, you know, they want to like, you know, educate and inform these league bowlers on, on maybe how to become a higher competitive bowler instead of just bowling on a house, house shot and averaging 235. Um, yeah. And I, I think I think those are things. And again, I, I don't want to you know make it about us, if you will. But at the same time, you ask the question. So I'm answering. we got a USBC coaching department. we got, you know, 
historically we got certified coaches where now they're trained coaches. That's the shift with the safety. But at the same time, I mean, there's 8,700 coaches in our system uh, that are currently trained, if you will. There's 56,000 that have come through the system over the last two decades. If you think about all the coaches that have come through the USBC coaching program, whether they're coaching USBC collegiate, whether they're, they're, they're pro shop guys that are, that are doing that work. And so they come through, there's a bronze, silver and gold program for exactly like you're talking about. And so we do offer that when you're talking about an initiative to go out and grow it, that's happened several times over the last 25 years. And every time that it comes out, we certainly get more coaches. The last one was the USA bowling coaching initiative that was rolled out about 10 years ago. We've had 12,000 volunteer coaches go through that program in the last 12 years. It's an enormous success. I mean, when you think about it, again, we're just, that isn't teaching the folks the game that you guys know it to be. That's just teaching the basics, right? Getting someone to be able to teach kids how to play the sport. But you're right, Rob, the misinformation, the education that's not there isn't necessarily because it's not available. There's more folks teaching bowling today than there's ever been. It's how do you go about getting it and where do you find it? Could you learn to bowl how to hook a bowling ball on YouTube? I mean, just think about how many views that video alone gets on YouTube. That tells you that people are looking into it and want it. When, when somebody like Beef and Barnsey does their shows and then they go off and they do the videos, the ones where they're explaining the balls and the technology, and we do the same things here. Uh, but again, is it to the masses or is it to a smaller group? And the answer is it's to a smaller group. Can I, and I, I know you guys don't want me to be on here all night, but no. I want to tell a funny story. When I got in the pro shop business, first night in the pro shop business, I was stoked, right? We got in there at midnight before, re-slot walled the, slot walled the, the shop. We got all the stuff up. Five o'clock, we opened the doors, right, for league at, at 6.30. All right, turn them on for practice at 6.15. This is a long time ago, but, but not all that long ago, Right. And so I'm stoked. I'm ready to go. Right. I got, you know, some coupons ready to go out in the marketplace. This is Monday night, uh, 630 league. Walk out on the floor. They turn them on for practice. What happens? Nobody moves. <laughs> Nobody goes up to practice. Nobody moves. Guy working the desk named Jerry Carter. I said, Jerry, what's going on here? He's I wanted to practice. And he said, they're not here to bowl. They're not here to compete. They're here to be social. They're going to sit there. And then with like three minutes left, somebody got up and went and threw a, a practice ball, right? And then it came, kind of started and they got loose. But you know what every one of them had? A high-end pair of shoes, a high-end ball, and a bag, right? But they weren't there for that. That was like a huge, oh, my God, right? 85% of my, my pro shop customers weren't the people that were buying three and four balls. They were once the ones that were there to be social, and again, that's a true story that happened a long time ago that still takes place today. Now, it was a Monday night handicap league uh, with, with women mostly. Uh, but at the same time, all of them are, are likely your best customers to take that coaching. They were my best customers in giving lessons, right? It wasn't the group that's bowling on Tuesday night that's throwing all the strikes that was interested in lessons. And I think that's the give and take of what you're talking about. A bowling center on a Saturday afternoon is just as much top golf as it is uh, a golf course being a traditional bowling center. And so your analogy, that made sense to me. But, but again, you wouldn't see that at top golf for 80% of their com- customers either. They're just there to be entertained. 
And so we have to balance that. It's not one or the other, it's both. And hopefully I'm communicating that effectively. Oh, well, Mike, Mike, you, you, you I might think he's on mute. mute. I kind of like him. Sorry, sorry. I had to go on mute so I didn't interrupt. I, I can't, I can't, you know, I'm a teacher. I'm used, I'm used to being able to talk whenever I want. So I got to, I got to mute myself. Uh, I've uh, learned that the hard way. Yeah. I want to, I, I, I have to say, you said it yourself, Chad, you know, a lot of the, the bowlers, you know, they get their ball, they get their shoes, they go out there, to, they're there to be social. And this is one thing that, that doesn't make sense to me, again, in terms of why we have to have that other side of the game. Chad, those people wouldn't even know the difference between the lanes being easier, the lanes being hard. So if, that, so if that's the majority of the people that are out there, let's make the lanes hard. They ain't even going to know the difference. They're still going to show up to bowl. Everybody thinks that, oh, if we make them hard, everyone's going to quit. I disagree. I think a lot of the people will still show up to bowl because they're not going to care whether they're easy or hard. The people that are going to quit are the people who, are, you know, are, are are frauds in the game, basically. Yeah. You know, who who have inflated statistics, inflated accomplishments, who rest their ego on bowling on something easy while convincing people that what they're bowling on is as challenging as the top levels of the game. You know. Yeah. To be clear, though, Mike, I, I'm not saying that they're going to quit. I'm saying that they're going to go uncertified. And, and I think that's there's a difference between those two things. I don't know. Rob and I had a conversation. They go certified now, and they get nothing out of it. Oh, so why God. wouldn't they? Let's, you know? Let's don't get into all of that, right? I mean, the, so well, okay, all right. Yeah, let me, let me be fair. They don't get nothing out of it. But the, I, I, didn't, I didn't say that in terms of the lack of what USBC provides. Here's what I mean by that. Let me clarify. Those bowlers, to me anyway, aren't the bowlers that are looking to take advantage of the things that the USBC offers. Is that, is that more fair? No, because I think the things that you're talking about that, that USBC offers are things that you enjoy, which are tournaments and certified average and those types of things. What those folks do want are rules and standards, which is the number one value to the USBC membership. So thanks for letting me get that in. People think that it's bowling tournaments and certified average. The rules and standards, that rules department back there, 2,000 cases a year. And again, if I can transition just a hair to the, to the conversation that you guys were talking about the money, right? 85,000 suspensions that have come out of USBC rules over the years. How many of them for uh, money-related violations? I'm sure, I would think a lot. A lot of them. Yeah. I mean, 80,000 of them, right? And so you think about that. That's the piece, again, when you talk about rules and standards, that's where that value comes into that bowler, not the technology side of the game. But, but there is a group that values the technology. And so you take this entire business segment and you start splicing it off, right? We're holding value to different groups in different ways. And, and that's the, the kind of the beauty of it. And, and again, the conversation you guys had about eliminating prize money below the professional tours. That was fascinating. I love you for I love you for throwing it out. I agree. While at the same time, who's choosing to have prize money in their leagues? The, the bowlers, bowlers are. The bowlers vote for it. Right. So if you went to your league meeting, and forget about you for a second. Again, I don't mean that offensively. I mean that let's move over to that other group. Let's go to that group that's bowling on, you know, Wednesday night that maybe is a, a handicap league. And they said in their league meeting, hey. We got $15 in, in lineage, and then we got $10 in prize money. Let's just eliminate the prize money and pay the lineage. How many people would go for it? I mean, I, I, you, you, I I mean the, the stereotypical answer is not, you want to say none or not many. I don't know the answer know. to that because it doesn't happen. 
Yeah, I don't I don't know the answer either. I'd be I would I would be interested to see what the results I mean, on that would how be. How many how many people have actually tried to push that in their league? Probably none I think of them. It's very, I think it's very small because again, I think that's one of the things that we celebrate that bowl makes bowling different than these other sports. And and I don't know whether it's good or bad inherently, but I know the money is something that we argue over in league meetings. It's why we argue over handicap, which I know you want to get to, Rob. It's why all of these things are in place, but all these answers go back to the same thing. U.S. league bowlers control that in your league meeting. You could eliminate it tomorrow. And so if the bowling consumer wanted to bowl with no prize money, we'd be doing that already because we offer that choice. Now, if we went in and said, hey, absolutely, you cannot do that, how many of them would opt out of the governance? And again, that's where the rub would come. I don't know the answer, Mike. I'm just sharing See, with you. I understand. I think a lot of bowlers, though, vote for what's already been in place. I don't think a lot of bowlers are really educated on the fact that they could make changes. Now, is that the bowlers' fault? I mean, you know, yeah, because they don't know and they just kind of go with everybody else and go with the flow. Um, I do feel like that if bowlers, if somebody, you know, knew what was going on and came in there and made that, you know, you're asking these like 150, 160 handicap bowlers to make big decisions in their league. And these people just want to go out and have fun. Um, exactly. I, I, I would imagine that a lot of those guys, if you gave them the option to pull the prize money out and pay $15 instead of $25 a week, I guarantee you might see a lot more than, than we think will actually yeah, do not, that. I'm not sure only because I agree that there's an education process to it, but at the same time, uh, it might be one of the reasons why they gravitated to the sport to begin with. Because, uh, I mean, how many of those same folks would you see at a casino uh, plugging into a, a slot machine? Uh, the answer is there's a reason why casinos have gone from just Vegas and New Jersey to entirely across this country. But the fact that they can do this here as a choice is a benefit. It's not a bad thing. And it's not anybody's failure for not governing it. We do govern it. If you think about it, where would that business be without us governing it the 2000 cases a year that roll through the rules department again you think about that it's just another way to look at it it truly is handicap in kind of the same light right when i was a kid it was 66 and two-thirds of 200 and then somebody in a league meeting said hey that's not fair and then somebody else in a league meeting and there was a discussion and so they moved it to 70 percent of 210 or 80 percent or a hundred percent of 230 Right. All that action happened in those league meetings. It happened locally. It wasn't national pushing down a new handicap system. Right. It all happened locally as the scores came up and came down. But again, it's also a product of who bowls in what league. If if those high end bowlers stay out of those other leagues. Right. If they're not going down and trying to pill for some of those, you just think about it. Right. That's what has to be protected against. Golf and tennis, they have flight systems. If you look at what we've done with the Open Championships, what we've done with Junior Gold, we're building peer-to-peer -peer environments, but they're scratch so that we don't have to have those as part of it. There's lots of folks that bowl the Open Championships that want handicap. We don't offer it. No, I, 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 
I, I got to like I got to be honest. I disagree. I disagree with your perspective here. I mean, you're, you you can say that it's the league bowlers who made these decisions, but in a lot of these instances, it was probably some greedy ass league bowlers who wanted to set things up to win the league for themselves, and that's how we got here. And that's not the USBC's position to step in and do what's right for the game and not let it go down that road. And listen, I'm not I'm not putting any of that blame or a lot of that blame on you personally, Chad. You've only been in this role since 2014. Yeah. And we're talking about issues that have been going on for decades in bowling now, right? But, you know, the governing bodies should have put an end to that or an end to those types of practices when they started to see that it was that it might have been causing a decline in the game. The other point I want to make is, you know, again, you can say, well, it's up to the league bowlers. But I agree with Rob. A lot of the league bowlers don't even understand that it's really up to them. The USBC does at this point, Chad, and I, I will put this ball in your court. You guys do need to be out in the forefront more. You do need to be encouraging leagues and and getting them to try different things, whether it be switching the 36-week schedule, maybe switching the three games a week format that's that's been in place for so long. I feel like you guys should be out there encouraging people to try different things, whether it's the proprietors, the managers, the corporations, the leagues, to to experiment a little bit. Rob, th thoughts on that? I mean, it, to me, I like just reading some of the, the the data that was sent over, and just in general being in, in the sport. I personally, I've, I've been again. I haven't bowled league, uh, just in the fact where I can't commit to thirty six weeks. It's a big commitment for me to bowl thirty six weeks. And and the handicap is is usually kind of judged uh, is a is a bad handicap system uh, for a high average of 230, 235 average, um, because you're giving a hundred percent of of that. Um, but I do agree where I, I do feel like there there needs to be at least some kind of trying to change in in, in the leagues. Um, sure. And sure. Let me let me hit on that because I think it's a good point, right? And and I think when you say it. On face value, it looks like something that you can place blame on somebody for. But what I will uh, back you out to is just today, I presented in front of uh, all the state executives uh, and, and presidents of the BPA associations down in Earl Anthony today. Uh, we talked about league bowling. We talked about smart. We talked about a lot of things. My first three and a half years on this campus, I went door to door uh, selling exactly what you're talking about with youth bowling. We still do that today through jamborees and associations, state BPA proprietors, where the proprietors come in and meet, we come in and do seminars and provide education. There are a lot of leagues in this country that didn't exist 25 years ago that are every other month, that are, you know, every other Monday night, uh, every other Saturday night, uh, and they only last eight weeks. We went to market uh, several times over the last decade with Learn to Bowl programs, Mike, that were four weeks eight weeks or 12, not 36 weeks. There's all kinds of leagues in this country that are split where they basically do 12, 12, and 12. Some do 10, 10, and 10. There has but what's, been what's the percentage? What's the percentage? Do you know the percentage? How many, how many leagues are 36 weeks traditional and what's not? I don't know the percentage because it's not something that we ask. But but I would tell you, if, if you really got out and, and got across the country, there's more of that than you think. But the reality is, again, some of this is the proprietor operating their business and what's USBC's role to tell them how to operate their business. We provide education and, and essentially say, hey, you know, we think 312s is better than a 36. But at the same time, if you're a bowling center proprietor right there, what are you going to do? 
right? And you're, you're thinking about if you can get X amount of people in for 36 weeks, you're going to continue to do that. And no mandate is going to stop you from doing that as long as the consumer agrees in that league meeting. And again, there, there's very few centers in this country don't, don't run short season leagues. They, they do. I mean, most, if not all, in this country run short season leagues. You fly. I understand, but the, the percentages have to be heavily swayed towards the 36-week traditional league that we're all used to. Yeah, and, and I would tell you, maybe up in the Northeast where, you, where you're at, that might be true. But, but I, I, again, I think most folks are splitting it up. I, I think it's better, bigger than you think it is. But I don't want to tell you something that I know to be true that isn't. I just know by traveling the country and having these conversations and these seminars, you, your point was, why isn't USBC out in front of that? We are. BPA is, too. It's all about resources, right? We're giving proprietors resources uh, to better run their business. If they choose then to run 36 weeks, again, that's it. That's up to them. But but it doesn't mean that we haven't offered them. You think about all the, the youth programs that we rolled out over the, the three and a half years when I was doing Yeah, but it. that's for youth programs. We're talking about an adult, adult membership. I mean, it all rolls in. If you go to the. No, no, it doesn't, though, Chad. No, no, it does because the youth numbers are great a lot of times. No. Junior gold, record setting for many years. High school bowling, fastest no. growing sport. But why doesn't it translate, Chad? Where where are all these no. bowlers? Hold, hold on. Again, you just you just switched uh, conversations on me, which is fine. I'll get to it. But but everything that's happening in youth, if you go to the resource centers on our website and go to BPAs and the resources that they provide, it's all there for adults too. You know, Wine Wednesdays. Uh, as an example, to get people to come in in a, in a different way. Those are all adult league activations. But what you're talking about, generally speaking, is that that high-end group. And they're not clamoring for fewer weeks. They really aren't. And so they're going to continue to bowl in that space. But back to youth for a second. The youth numbers are, are, are similar on the recreation. Again, there, there's a recreation side and a sports side. Yeah, Junior Gold's banging and it's great. That's the sports side. Right. You think about the pre-COVID 7,000 plus junior gold members that 10 years ago was 3,500. Right. That's exceptional. When they drop into collegiate bowling, there's 3,600 of them. Then when they when they drop into leagues, what happens when they get out of a college bowling? What happens to those 3,600? They quit. They get a job. And why, well, those are they two quit. different They quit. They quit. No, they quit because there's no outlets to bowl in the serious manner in yeah. which they got used to competing. But think of how small the number is, that 3,600. Again, I'm not arguing against you guys. I'm trying to give you a perception that there's a lot more positive things going on here than than you even see. Yeah, and but a lot of the positive example. that you're pointing out, with all due respect, Chad, has to do with the business side of things. And and we're not interested – I'm not very interested in the business side of things. I'm interested in the, in te- in the sport. Okay, I'm interested in the integrity of the game. I respect that you guys have a – have a, a business aspect of things. I get that. So let's but, talk about all the great things that are going on in the sport. On the sports side of the game, junior gold's growing, right? Collegiate's growing. High school bowling is still getting bigger and bigger and bigger. National Federation of High Schools, over 50,000 kids bowled in high school last year. Those aren't certified members, but can we count them as good that they're bowling? Right? So you think about that side, and then you move up, and you look at the PBA. We just had a guy win almost $500,000 this year. That's never happened before. Uh, we just paid out $100,000 for the first time on the women's PWBA tour. Again, you think about that. There's some positive things happening here. But because we look at it in the lens of something that happened a long time ago, we have to place blame. 
and then continue that to today in thinking that those things are wrong. There is a true separation between league and the sport, right? Most of league bowling is recreation. You got to get into the real competition in the tournaments uh, to really get into the sport with the exception of sport bowling and challenge bowling. And again, there's some great things. Even the championships tournaments, we got all the way down to 7,000 teams at the Open Championships. We built it back to 10,400 pre-COVID. That's growth. That's the sport growing. Uh, but at the same time, if it doesn't happen to you locally in a league, you maybe don't understand it or don't see it. Just think about, and again, I say this, the deal Tom Clark cut with Fox to move away from ESPN, he doesn't get enough credit for that. Uh, an unbelievable win for bowling. Uh, and then look at how it's translated into prize money for those guys. It's amazing. The sports side is doing well. Back to your point, I'll move it back to the entertainment side. There's another segment coming in that as traditionalists, we don't like, but the entertainment side of this business is doing well. FECs are being built every year uh, that have a restaurant, a bar influence, some kids stuff, whether it be ropes, courses, or laser tag, those types of things. There's some real growth. And again, this is the one that gets me in trouble. If you think about it globally, and Mike, I know you don't want to hear it. Bowling's as cool as it's ever been. It really is. You're so wrong about that, bro. Well, and again, that's 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 your perspective because yeah. I, I think in some cases, and again, I, I won't try to talk you out of it, uh, but but we can look back and try to place blame on all the things that happened. And again, we still haven't even got into ball technology. But if it truly was ball technology, why was it a thirty percent drop before we even had any technology? Well, I, I would I would I contribute that drop to more of the factors that you highlighted earlier, the societal factors, more so than what's going on in the game. But I got to be honest, more recently, I think it has more to do with what's going on in the game, you know. But all right, we we want to get to a couple other topics. Sure. All right, we want to get to a couple. Of, we you know we told you we weren't going to keep you all night, and we're keeping you here all night. Uh, feel free to answer these as quickly as you want, because because we don't want to take up too much more of your time. And listen. We appreciate the conversation, man. We do. Like, there's, there's, we, we can agree to disagree, but you know, there's mutual respect here as all of us being in the bowling community and 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 loving the game. Like, I know, regardless of of you know uh, where you stand and and what your opinion is on these issues, we can we can disagree all day. But I know your background. I know that you you feel the same way I do about the game. Uh, the money for the for the majors that you guys upped, kudos on that, man. That that was big. You know, we were all very disappointed with that situation and the way it stood. Where did that money come from? That's what we're wondering. Uh, how did it happen or where did it come from? The, the both, money did, both. Both, both, both. <laughs> okay, so uh, when when Tom Clark cut the Fox deal, uh, you'll remember that we included the U.S. Open and the Masters as part of that uh, contract. And, and, and hopefully everybody remember this, and I, I will try to be efficient. We were on CBS Sports Network. Uh, with the U.S. Open and the Masters was part of the PBA agreement. But that agreement, as it has always had in it, is that if the prize funds on the PBA tour go up, uh, then we would raise our prize funds as well. And so that piece of business is there. It's contractual. It's been there. This isn't the first time it's happened. If you go back to when Steve Miller and his group came in, uh, the, the majors on the PBA tour were 100000 for first. The standard events were 40000 for first uh, and so we've, we've now just gone back and, and honored that. It probably should have happened last year, but, but we didn't know that they were raising the prize funds. 
And so we couldn't react to it from a budgetary position where we can for next year. And so, bang, we're, we're, we're coming in line uh, with the you know prize fund that's commensurate uh, of, of what the PBA is doing. Where the really big piece of it is, is obviously what we've done with the women there. Uh, there's never been a check over 55000 And so to give them a $100,000 check as part of that, well, I'm not having. And, and it's complicated. But seven years ago when I came in, uh, we really changed that piece of business even before PWBA was announced. We made the subsidies that we put into the prize funds. As an example, the U.S. Open, we were putting a $100,000 subsidy on top of the entry into the U.S. Open. What people don't know is we were also doing that with the women's. Uh, masters, $90,000, 90000 for the queens. And so from a gender equity position, we've always been doing that. And so to raise the, the PBA tour folks up to hundred grand, we got to do it for the women too. Not because we want to do it, because it's the right thing to do. Where does the money come from? The simple answer is from all the same places that, that uh, our subsidies come from. Uh, the fundraiser that is the tournament, certainly some membership piece of it. I will tell you that it came at a good time because in this particular situation, uh, you know, the PPP money, our tax credit money that came from the government uh, was an infusion of funds that, that we were very lucky to get. Um, and so what we do here, generally speaking, that people don't always understand is we take in more money. We find ways to push it out to reinvest it back into the sport. It's just what we do as a national governing body. We're not a for profit entity where we're trying to you know, build our revenue streams to the point where, where we wouldn't be pushing it back into the marketplace. So it comes from all the regular sources is the answer to the question. All right. Well, I'm, I feel like you're tempting me with that, with that answer a little bit to discuss. No, no, I don't. We're going to, we have to have you back. We'll get into that another time. Not, I'm not even going down that road this late in the interview. Uh, Your thing. Let's talk your thing for a minute. Cause if we don't bring it up, a lot of people are going to be really pissed off at me and Rob. Uh, We know that the USBC did a study on urethane and the effects of softening on the ball after use, uh, testing hardness uh, from manufacturers. Tell me if I'm wrong, but generally I think what you guys found and what I read was that uh, reactive balls tend not to uh, get softer over time over use, but urethane balls do. Fair enough to summarize it that way? Yep. Okay. So – Go ahead. Yeah, you get a question coming up. All right, so so um, you you found that the urethane balls do soften over time. There there was no change uh, in in raising the manufacturing softness of the bowling balls, the urethane balls, to kind of make sure that even if they soften after use, they fall within those standard regulations. Was there any discussion about raising that number? Sure, we actually did raise it from seventy two to seventy three. But the thing that you have to know about these urethane balls is historically they were built at 78, 79. ABC standard was 72, but the PBA had a standard that was in between that at 75. And so rather than the manufacturers make separate balls for the PBA and ABC, uh, they made one ball at 78, 79, 80, and they got softer over time. We didn't know it at the time because we hadn't done the research, but now we've done the research and we know that that's true. Right. And so the PBA having that piece at 75 is what kept those uh, balls above our 72. And so several years ago when they when the PBA got out of that business, which I support, they shouldn't be in that business unless they want to be in that business uh, because there just aren't that many legal balls. If that were, you know, what we were talking about, 
uh, one of the manufacturers was the first one, we all know who they are, to not make it at 78. They made it at 72 at the ABC spec. And so those balls were softer than everything else on the market, but still legal. And, and, and again, in our sport, when you start throwing something that reacts amazingly or different than what you see, what's the first thing somebody says? And it goes, back to, the, it goes back to the Excalibur. Somebody says, oh, they're cheating. Right. That's a cheater ball. Right. But so, but really, it was because someone was proactive enough to move that hardness down or figure out a way to make it at 72. Uh, because the first ones that came out and again, I don't want to get in the manufacturers or the names of the balls. Uh, but the first ones that came out when they they came, you know, your thing came in and then they left and then they were reintroduced. They were all being made at those those higher hardnesses, even though there was no PVA requirement in place. And so USBC has been consistent. We did raise it from 72 to 73. We did consider, Mike, making it even harder than that. But it's really not our place to do so if you think about it. That's we that's what I meant. I meant yeah. making it higher than 73. That's what yeah. I meant. Sorry. And you, you, you bring up a good point. I love the question because, again, then, then what does that do to balls that were grandfathered in or that are still in the marketplace that now would, would likely have to be the consumer would want them to be replaced and those types of things? And so it's another level above these balls. And you'll see it in the report that we published. They don't hook any more than a lot of the, the reactive balls that are on the market. If you think about total hook, right? Sorry, trying to do it where you can see it. We still got reactive balls up here. Urethane balls are kind of in the middle with plastic balls down here. Right now, they do attribute different properties to the lane and moving the oil around. But here's the thing. We got a, a spec that's 72. We haven't had one ball in here uh, that has punched illegal. All these people talking about all these illegal balls out there, and it's in the marketplace. And every time we see one, we reach out and say, hey, would you mind sending us that ball? <laughs> right? If somebody, if we saw balls that were illegal in the marketplace, we would govern that. We proved that several years ago in, in one very certain case. Right? We, we govern this area. The, the, the way these balls come in and the way they are tested we have a spot checking system where we go out in the field and we buy balls from distributors that confirm that they're being manufactured like the balls that are approved. Very expensive process for us, but we do that to ensure that the balls are legal. And so all of these urethane balls that have been launched, we've been spot checking them all the way through, including or two years ago flying out to the PBA and spot checking every ball on their truck. We didn't find one ball that was illegal. And so again, uh, when, you think, when you think about that, uh, it's one of those processes where we did learn that the balls get softer over time, but the spec is a manufactured spec out of the box, and that's the difference. Uh, when you're done testing those balls, you can feel free to send them to me and Rob because neither of us are on a staff yeah. and we don't get free stuff. So you know, we'll you know send. Don't don't don't. Are we going to talk about pirates? Are we going to talk about No, no, we're not going to. But listen, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this. <laughs> I, di I disagree. We've disagreed a lot tonight. I've used this word a lot. I disagree with you that it's not your position to change that hardness that that hardness rating. That is your position. That is that's the exact role of the USBC is to dictate these things. So if you if you if we if you the USBC the governing body sees something going on that you think is uh, awry or perhaps not in the in, in the in the best interest of the game. Then I think you should do you know, it. Perhaps it should be changed, or it at least it, it at least should be looked at. We but we I, agree hundred percent. Mike, we're in agreement there. That is our job. But yeah, but you just said you know it's not our position to do that. No, we we don't believe there's anything awry here. 
if we thought something was awry, to your point, we would. And again, we've, we've proved uh, time and time again to step in, even before I got here, uh, when something is awry. But in this case, we put a lot of research and energy in it. It's all in that research report. There's nothing awry here. If we find something awry, we absolutely will do that. But it's not our position to step in when something hasn't been made illegally or built improperly. Could we change the spec? We could. And Mike, I'm not sure you're aware, but because you're saying that, I, I want to bring it up. We've made significant changes to ball technology since I've been here. Uh, USBC, I'm aware. I'm aware. USBC made significant changes to ball technology as frequently as 2005 when they took the diff from 80 to 60. Ball technology has been moved backwards. Oh, my God. Chad, come on. It's like throwing a deck chair from the Titanic. Please. Uh, you're, what, Chad. You're, what you're talking about there is thinking about technology pre-1990, right, when reactive balls came in. And it expanded into the 2000s with particle technology. But in 2005, again, flaring cores, right? Remember the ultra angle, the first one that wobbled? We thought it wobbled. It actually flared. The, the flare was reduced in 2005, and so there's less flare on the market today than there was there, so therefore there's less hook. The Keverstock technology was our latest piece with the oil absorption, and so that that is something where if you saw some of the balls that could be on the market today that aren't because we put in the oil absorption spec, you'd be you just haven't ever seen that, right, because you don't see it as a consumer because it's not launched. But again, we are protecting the integrity of of trying to hold the position now. Are we moving to change the technology moving backwards or try to take it back to 1990? The answer is no. Clearly. Clearly the answer is no. Go ahead, I'm, Rob. I'm telling you, though, I, Chad, if, if I can get one request in this interview, would can you just, like, wipe out <laughs> urethane? Because as a, as a, as a fan, I'm, I'm so sick of seeing – all this urethane and I kind of wanted to ask you not as the executive director, but as a fan and uh, you know, a, 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 just a bowler. What do you think of like the, like the rebirth of urethane? And yeah. it, I, I'm so tired of it. I really I, am. I think it's a, uh, I think it's an interesting thing that has happened. I mean, you wouldn't go back uh, to hitting persimmon drivers, right, right. From the graph. I mean, you just, you just wouldn't do it. Right. But because our uh, bowling is a static place, right? The lane's not going to get longer. You can't move the tee boxes back, right? Our way of changing that is to put more oil on the lane, right? And, and in that study, that, that hardness study, but then also in the uh, technology study that we did prior to the hardness study, we showed that units of oil have gone up from about six units all the way into the 30s. And so then to have the consumer find a way to put a urethane ball in their hand and move to the right, right, which isn't what they generally want to do, right? We all want to move left and hook it. It's fascinating. It's a, it's a divisive piece of business or conversation in our sport, which is why you guys are talking about it, right? But at the same time, in terms of all the balls on the market, it's in the middle towards the bottom of total hook. But it is specific to a tool in a toolbox, right, that can be used at the high end of the game. And the most amazing thing about it, Rob, and again, you know this, right, where's your rev rate out and how much rev rate you need to use that ball or how much friction has to be on the lane for a league bowler to use it because they don't have any rev rate. And so, again, it's just another toolbox. Uh, I was at Ebonite, you know, and even Columbia at the time all this was going on, and 
you know, we were shaking our heads, uh, generally speaking, about the notion of it when it was happening. Uh, but at the same time, it's just another tool in the toolbox. Uh, but I, I never would have believed that it would become as valuable as it is today uh, to well, the world's greatest players. So my question to you is, is obviously the, the rev rate of the high competitive bowlers, including two-handed delivery, right? Which would be like my next question. Um, obviously, the, the birth of urethane has probably a lot to do with the new generation and the two-handed kind of birth, right, of the, of the, of the high advantage bowlers. Now, there were a lot of people, including one of uh, my Big Mike's close friends, who think that two-handed bowling should be illegal. Now, quick quick answer to He's this. He's not my close uh, friend. He's not my close friend, to be clear. <laughs> okay. um, has the USBC ever – Has they have they ever, like, considered or looked at or even had a discussion in regards to um, is this uh, fair or is this something that the game should maybe take – uh, you know, and make it maybe illegal or, or put into it like kind of some kind of separate bracket. Yeah, I can't speak to the folks that came before me, but I, I can share that, <laughs> you know, the, the rules of the game and the way the ball's delivered, that the two-handed release is within the rules. It always has been. You know, there were a lot of two-handed bowlers that came before Jason Belmonte, you know, Chuck Landy being the first one. I remember when he was on tour, I was tour repping at the time. Uh, and it was amazing to watch when Mike Miller, you know, took his thumb out of the ball. And you think about that. These Bob guys were, were pioneers. They were they were trailblazers, if you will. And so now to, to go to Junior Gold and see it and, and again, but it's a product of it. It took someone being a great champion or winning to really have acceptance to that. Right. And that's with Belmo. The simple answer is it's within the, the rules of the sport. And so, no. There, there's no look to change that in any way, nor, in my opinion, should there be because some guys got creative and did it differently doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. And again, we'll, we'll all teach it. The other thing that I would just share with you, Rob, dragging that one back to coaching, the reason why that's spawning as heavily as it is because of the amount of coaches in this country that are teaching it, especially at the youth league. You know, you can go out on YouTube and, and figure out a way to do it. I watched a guy at Senior Masters last week, Ricky Schister. has been a great bowler for a long time from the Colorado area. Uh, he's throwing it two-handed now, and it looks very similar to him bowling one-handed. Uh, and so, again, I just think it's one of those things that's good for the sport that, that, that a certain group wants to point out is bad for the sport. Yeah, uh, to that point, Mark Baker just ran a, a pure two-handed clinic last week. Yeah. So that, it was literally – I mean, he knows how to adapt to his, you know, to his clientele, so – uh, kudos to Mark Baker in going that route. But, you know, I just thought uh, I know a lot of people that aren't every day. They they get they get their you know asses kicked by two handers and they leave the bowling alley going oh, that that, that kind of wasn't fair. Um, so I appreciate the honesty. Um, and I, I just kind of needed to throw that question out. So go ahead, Mike. I'm sorry. If they weren't so easy, there wouldn't be so many two handers. Sorry. Mm. <laughs> and, and, and yet. Uh, I was on a Zoom call a little while ago with a couple other guys having this exact same conversation. And yet, uh, look at the two-hander's success in some of the toughest events that we that we hold. And and so is that really true at the at the top? Right. And so there's these like, you know, we, we should do a show on uh, call it Mythbusters uh, or Urban Legends Killed. Uh, there's all of these like perceived things that happen within our sport that people believe. A lot of them just aren't true. 
Uh, and so folks say, well, if the, if the pattern links 39 or 40 feet, the two handers take off. Right. And so that's a, a belief that people have. And I say, OK, well, what is the pattern ratio in the middle? <laughs> and again, the bigger the hump and you think about entry angle and the things that go with that, all of those things are are a part of that. Uh, and so it, it's an interesting conversation to have. No doubt. All right, Chad, listen, we greatly appreciate the time. We kept we kept Honestly, here over time. You know, you, you were very cordial to stay with us and continue the conversation for as long as we did. Uh, you know, listen, we're going to have to agree to disagree on some things, and that's okay. Like I said, I, I just you got to peach your audience. I get it. Oh, please, no! This is this is this is the real right here, man. You know that. Yeah, this is, mean, this is on, how Chad, we really feel. Real. And listen to the to the dope to the dope who thinks this is the 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 misinformed land. Okay, let me let me give a message to that person. Our information comes from years of experience as bowlers. Okay, our information doesn't come from the statistics uh -oh. and the facts and these various places where, you know, again, I appreciate all that, but Rob and I, we're, we're in the field. We're, we're bowlers. We're out there. We're experiencing the game. And yes, we're experiencing the game through the lens of the high level bowler. But I, I, I think that, you know, a lot of bowlers that I know would agree that that's, that's what we should really be out to well, protect and grow and, and, and care about. It, well, it's funny because I got to jump in here because I, I went from experiencing the game as a high-level bullet to now I, I'm more on the fan side of it um, because obviously a real job and a real the real world, you, you stop looking at it as a high – now I'm watching the PBA. I'm watching Flow Bowling. I'm watching, you know, Bolty, whatever it is, um, which, by the way, uh, you guys need to work with Flow Bowling and get on one platform for everybody for the fan because that's kind of one that's, of the other that's, requests. That's, that another, that's another interview. That's that's got to stay on the list for another interview if you want to come on um, again. But other than that, I look at it as a fan now. So I'm looking more when I go on the show every week is what the fans want. And I feel like I'm a, a good representation of the fan these days. But yeah, and again, I, I would just close that whole piece just by, by saying this. You know, the great thing about bowling is is you, Mike and Rob and I, we're all passionate about it. Right. We believe in it in ways that that, you know, maybe some other folks that are doing it recreationally, they appreciate it. They're doing it for different reasons, but uh, we all do have the best interest in the sport at heart in within these conversations. And so that's why I love it that you guys are doing this. I love it that you're having these conversations. I, I just really hope that that there's an understanding more about who USBC is and why we do the things that we do, as opposed to one piece of the business being critical or, or pointing at the failures. There's a lot to be excited about within bowling. There really is. Uh, and it's been taking place over time. A lot of people, we just can't see it because we're so stuck uh, where we were years ago when all of this came to be. And again, technology exploded in, in the world in a lot of different ways and bowling's no different. We didn't get into a lot of that. But there's one thing that came out that people don't even point at, and it's the lane machine. It's the fact that you didn't have to strip them uh, or that you could strip them every night. That's the biggest piece of technology, but we, but we really don't go to that. But but my point is, there's a lot more positive here than it's negative. There's a lot more things that we agree on than we disagree on. At the end of the, at the, end of the, the day, we, we just keep working on them. So I appreciate what you guys do. Chad, it was it was Chad. wonderful to have you on, man. I appreciate, appreciate the conversation. It, seriously. You know, appreciate the time. You have an open invitation anytime. Anytime we anytime we say some shit that, that you feel is out of line, you go, come on, we'll we'll talk about it. We're more than willing uh, to have local. those conversations. 
So I'm again, get that email. I'm getting that email that says, "Please call me." And I go, "Oh, geez, what again, did you say this time?" <laughs> don't be surprised, Mike, if I show up on a random Tuesday night to 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 be entertained. Come on out. Come on out. You want a sub? I got a spot for you to sub. If you want a sub, bring your shit. I got a spot for you to sub. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, excuse me, Rob. Tell tell Brooke I said hi and Jeff and 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 your family. I, I will. Time, guys. I will. We appreciate. Chad, take it easy, man. We appreciate it. Bye. All right, Rob. I know we're we're super over. I'm glad I got a half day from work here tomorrow because we're know. super. Mike, over you're gonna go to bed. You're gonna go to bed tonight. You're gonna sleep well with all the stuff you got off your back. I'm telling you, yo, <laughs> I let you go. Chest. I let you go. I was like, yo, Mike is fire right now. Like, let him go. Let him do his thing. Like, uh, you know. But look, like honestly, Mike, I should have been was, a lawyer. No, honestly, that was the best interview. And we've done this show for what two two and a half years. To me, that was one of the best interviews that we've ever had because I, I there's so many people out there that will listen to this interview and are on your like are on our side on a lot of these issues, right? Like why isn't the US or see see this? things the way we see them, yeah. Right. And we wanted and, and Chad is not really known for going out and, and like, you know, doing interviews like this, right? It's just, you know, he's very you know, kind of like he, he picks his spots, he goes, but Chad is, is a good dude. Like I've known him for a really long time and I know he gets a lot of criticism. Look, when you're in that kind of position as the executive director, you're going to get a lot of criticism, especially when the sport isn't doing as well as me and you want to see it done. Right. So there is going to be a lot of criticism, but I feel like an interview like this, it gets shit on the open, right? Like why aren't you trying things to grow leagues? Why are the scores so high? Why are 300s and 800s bold every night, right? Like you're supposed to be protecting the integrity of the game, right? So why aren't you doing that? And I feel like this was the first time that anybody has ever really like approached these issues on a, on, a, on an open front, right? And I, I'm, I was that I'm aware chat. of anyway. Right. And I'm reading the chat and I'm like, Jesus, like the people on, um, on, uh, chat room are really fire right like I, I was just like man i hope he's not reading some of these comments yeah i wasn't but reading like, them but look like hey like th that's the key position look he's been getting criticism for a, for for a while but like mike dude you brought it tonight man kudos dude 600 and you brought it on the fire of the interview, i appreciate man. I love it you, man. Uh, that was awesome um man i have i have so many thoughts man so <laughs> i think i think the biggest difference of opinion in that discussion between our our perspective and his perspective is that you and I look at the USBC as as you know the guardian of the the side of the game that we love and want to see grow right and I think it was pretty clear that and and I understand this perspective I, I don't want people to misunderstand that I, I think that that he's completely off base in this I mean I, I get this too uh, you know Obviously, there's more of a business side to it, right? And and I think I think that was pretty clear in the interview. I don't I don't think that that's even going out on a limb to say. That. I think anybody that listens to what we just recorded would kind of reach the same conclusion on their own. Um, again, while I understand that, I, I you know I stand by what I said in the interview. I just don't think that the USBC as an organization is doing enough to promote the side of the game that we all want to see promoted and see grow. Um, you know, I'll also say this, and I, I, I wish I pro I wish I would have said this while he was here and, and, and thought about it, but I didn't until, until we started to think about our, our thoughts afterwards. But 
every most people know I'm in I'm in the education game and I'm a teacher and you know Rob there's there's a whole like like theory of thought in in education and education field and I think your brother Dave will will agree with me on this where administrators the people in charge okay those those people that are in positions just like Chad but in the education field they feel that if you remain positive despite anything that's in front of you that it will it will work out in the end and 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 things will work out or or you will at least be able to to hold the tide of whatever you're up against what, whatever that may be an organization a person a, a purchaser whatever and I, I have to say through my experience in education I think that that way of looking at things is terrible in fact, I, I coined the name for it, Rob. I, 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 you know, I study, I write my all my, you know, my personal life here and what I'm involved in in my job. I call it toxic positivity. Toxic positivity, and to me, what it means is when when a leader, when a leader of an organization, or leaders in an organization, or an organization as a whole, commits so much to remaining positive in the face of whatever adversity is going on that. They, they fail to address some of the things that are going to lead to their demise in the end. You know, and after that interview, I have to say that I sense kind of the same thing. I do. I sense, uh, you know, positivity in the face of whatever's going on. You know, he, Chad did a great job of, of highlighting a lot of the positives that, that he has to highlight. But, Rob, I got to say, that's not the bowling world I live in. That's not the bowling world. I said, I understand I'm the minority. But it's an important minority. You know, it's a minority that's about the real side of the game. So, you know, I, I, I that that part kind of struck me, you know, in, in terms of the end there, especially about highlighting the positive. But, you know, certainly yeah. I don't see things that way. I think the main point that I got out of this, and I kind of feel like we'll, we'll, like we'll wrap it up a little bit, and it's an Eagles hat. He's not wearing a Dolphins hat, trust me. Um, I think the one thing that I got out of it was – the, the major point was the, the consumer demand. Um, I'm, I'm in a business world, Mike. I work for, you know, a company where, you know, all, we're, we're all kinds of money. We're trying to make, make money, right? That's what we do in the corporate world. Um, so I feel like the USBC, um, no, I don't think so. Uh, I feel like the USBC, and I want to choose my thoughts very carefully here. I feel like, the hard part for being, you know, working for the USBC and being executive director is balancing the recreation side with the competitive side. I feel like the BPAA and the USBC are more going to be balanced towards the recreation side because that's where the money comes from, right? That's why the bowling alleys stay open because of the recreation side. Okay, yeah, but I again, it, it, go, it but, goes back to the discussion, ways, right? Go right, ahead, but, go ahead. But there is a competitive side that is just as important as the recreation side, right? No, because, it's more important. Yo, it's to me, it's well, exponentially more important because that's where it started. That's where, like the ba the, the 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 bastardized version of the game, okay, only exists because the 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 industry, you know, bowling itself, the entity allowed it to exist. And now what? We're just supposed to live with the fact that, oh, this is the way it is and we have to move forward from here. I don't know. I'm sorry. Listen, I disagree with that. 
I, well, I vehemently like, disagree with that. The, the one thing too is like when, uh, whenever you know, Chad would talk about how the bowlers and the leagues have the power to make changes. They do, but how many of these league bowlers don't change because they don't know they can change, uh, and they just kind of follow the you know whoever the league secretary is, whoever the president is, and they just kind of do the same thing they did the year before. People are, are notoriously scared of change, Mike. Nobody wants to change. Nobody yeah, wants to it, vote for change. But but as Chad said, there, there's also a business aspect to that, right? Sure. Because the change because might membership. mean yeah, the change might mean losing membership. The change but, might mean lower revenue for the bowling here's center, the thing right? Is, I've always agreed. I've always had the stance is I feel like sometimes when your organization now let me get the camera here when your organization is kind of slowly declining, right? I feel like there's sometimes you might have to do this before you do this, right? Ex, now, ex, yo, in our society today, Rob, change is exponential. Change right. happens like this, okay? Sometimes you have to, to go down to, before it comes. Yo, look, up. Rob, technology is that way. Look at any technology right. you want. When it first comes out, it's, it's, it's on the decline, okay? Right. But then once they get it, boom, it shoots up and it takes off, it's right? Up because and that's so. the thing is like if they were to man, make – patterns mandatory on leagues you might get your bunch of people that don't want to pay their dues and they say well this and this and they but for the integrity of the game for the future of the sport and for the competitive future right not recreation forget the recreation you might have to decide one day say okay we're gonna lose in budget to lose 30 percent of your membership dues just to like you said maybe start over from scratch and build it up and then kind of go forward with, with with the competitive side of it. So, Mike, dude, awesome interview. Um, Rob, I'm tempted. Chad- I got to be. On- I'm going to talk to you about this off air, but I'm tempted. I'm tempted to start the st- start our own governing body for Sweet real bowling. governing body, dude. STRGB. GB. Yo, pay us eighteen dollars a year. Yeah. Yeah, we'll send. I'll send you a oh, ring every time. Okay, Ridiculous. like I'll send you a ring once a year. But I mean, look, like the one thing I do disagree with you that you did, you did kind of talk about is how the USBC doesn't offer bowlers stuff for their. I, I I almost fell off the chair when you said that, but I get, I get that. Okay, I get well, well why you said it. Right, sometimes the bowlers, the league bowlers don't know what they get for their money. And I feel like that's also a lack of education, right? I feel like there's, you know, they send the pamphlet out, but I, I do agree that maybe the USBC should look into sending delegate delegates to these league meetings, right? Or have one yeah, delegate. And, and we've talked about this right. before, right? We've And we didn't get into this with Chad tonight. I, 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 I thought about it, but I was like, ah, if I go down that road, it's going to, it's going to be another huge part of this conversation. And and again, I hope he decides to come back on and catch up with us sometime so we can catch up with him on some of this other stuff. He but, might block us an email. He might block yeah. us after this. Rob, you, you've you mentioned this before. How Listen, a lot of the local people that are involved in the USBC, they're, they're, they're not the most in-touch people in the bowling community, right? And that, I, I like Rob, to get we into talked that. about that. It's a problem, right? He, he highlighted the delegates and, oh, the people have the power and everything. But the problem is that the people who are involved in it don't 
you know, know what's going on. Yeah, it's like they're not the people that we need, or like they're they're they're, they're like they're, let's just call them what they are, Mike. They're they're they're, they're the like recreational 90. side. They're the they're, recreational they're side of okay. what's going on. Yeah, go bowl the local USBC tournament, your association yeah. tournament, and the average age of the people running the tournament is they're like 120. Yeah, okay. Bill Bill Durham says seriously, there needs to be a separation from recreational bowling and sport of bowling. Bill, I, I couldn't agree more, and yeah. you know, I think it, after our interview tonight. I'm going to ask it as a question, but I think the answer is pretty clear. What you know, what side would the USBC end up on? You know, if that split took place, what side would they end up on? You know, where the money? I mean, look, and that's sad. That's sad to me because I, you know, it's like I, I I would rather have it on the other side. All right, Rob, we doing worst of the week or what? No, I don't don't have. You don't have one. Oh no, 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 we got it, Rob, Rob. Rob, we have to do worst I, of the week. I'll do it I, for us. Bring bring it up, and I'll do it for us. We're not leaving the people without worst of the week. Are you kidding? Go for it, Mike. <laughs> I could just pull up a random USBC post right now if I wanted to. It'd be like this is worst of the week. Um, oh uh, my goodness! Up here. You got one because oh, I got, I got, I got multiple here. I got multiple I, here. I'm sure you do. Oh, let's see. All right, all right. My worst of the week. My worst of the week goes to. Uh, it's from the 900 Global Message Board. Okay, it's from the 900 Global Board. Uh, it go, my worst of the week goes to an account named Danny Moran. Danny Moran, congratulations! Congrats, you want congratulations? Big, big, big you want to. Here's his post, okay? I'm quoting. 900 Global Bullying does it, does it again with the Zen Master. Threw it for three games, 739. Hits like a tank. Should have been 800, but I missed four 10 pins. Danny. <laughs> Danny, I hate to tell you. Uh, 739 with four made 10 pins. Is going to be about seven seventy nine, seven eighty. So yeah, you're still a little off from eight hundred there. Uh, but you know, I mean, those ten, those damn ten pins, Rob. You know, seven seven forty, and the guy probably didn't make a spare all night. Okay, seven forty, the guy to make a spare, I missed four ten pins. I mean, come on, come on. I got a worst of the week. So <laughs> does Charlie Tap know him? Do you he know him, Charlie? Oh, that's awesome. Oh, my God. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Oh, man. So, that's, let them know. Let them know you want worst of the week. So my worst of the week goes from my experience I had last night with one of these like kind of crazy fans uh, that was at the uh, CP3 event. Um, so Bill is on the lanes practicing, and it's just me and Gavin, and we're just sitting there just hanging out. And this guy comes over, and he's like pretending to have his conversation with Gavin and all he keeps saying to Gavin is, uh, maybe your maybe your father can get me an autograph. That would be awesome. And like he then he, he'll talk to Gavin for a couple uh, uh, minutes. And then he's like, says it even louder. Man, that'd be awesome if your father could sign this shirt. And Bill's like ignoring it. <laughs> Look, like, that's my worst of the week, okay? Bill signed it, right? And Bill was as professional as it gets. Yo, if you're out there and you see somebody who's a kind of a celebrity or a pro or, or an athlete or whatever, don't talk to their kid to try to get an autograph, okay? That's just that's just Bush League, okay? 
Bill was super professional, and I wanted to kind of step in and be like, yo, yo, boy, yo, guy, yo, hit the bricks, bro. Like, if you want an autograph, ask for an autograph, okay? Don't try to pretend, you know, to to talk to this, you know, his son who's who's eight, right, or seven or whatever, and, and try to get an autograph. because I mean, Especially you, a bowler. Just ask them. They're going to give you their dude, autograph. Just ask them. They'll give it to you, man. They're the happy to get asked. Old. The only person that never gave me an autograph was Amleto Monticelli. He denied me when I was a kid, and I'll never forget that. But I told him when I saw him, I said, yo, you, I, I met him once at a pro shop. I'm like, you you, you turned me down for an autograph. Anyway, <laughs> so that's, that's my worst. Yeah, so uh, that's my worst of the week. Give it to the people. All right, Rob, final thoughts. Uh, yeah, I heard there was a run-in. Right? Yeah, there world. was a run-in, right? So let's tell the people. Uh, tomorrow night, Knob Hill, uh, sport patterns out. And I called over a couple weeks ago to set this up. And I had a connection there for a while, but they changed managers. And, you know, I kept I go there to practice, and I could never – go. you know, whenever I went there, the manager wasn't there. So I got her uh, name, and I called a few times, and I finally got her on the phone. And – uh set up the sport bowling thing. I go into practice last Thursday. Turns out she's there. So I go up to the desk to pay. I hear her talking. I said, oh, hey, Karen, how are you? I'm Mike, you know, who called about the sport patterns. I'm going to be in uh, next week or whatever. And she was like, oh, okay, that's great. You know, somehow I forget how this came up, but she started to, to talk about her background in bowling. And she was like, oh, you know, well, when I ran the junior program at Gil Hodges Lanes years ago, and I was like, what? I said, what? And she said, get out. She's like, what, did you bowl at Gil Hodges Lanes? And I said, no, I did not. I said, but one of my good friends, who's also the co-host of a podcast that I do, and she stops me. And she's like, wait a second. You're Big Mike. You're Big Mike. She's like, I recognize your voice now. You're Big Mike. I've listened to your podcast. I said, yes, I am Big Mike. This is me, and I, I'm I'm Rob's co-host. And she said, hey, I'm Karen. Nice to meet you. I know Rob. I know his family. I said, yo, that's such a small world. I'm like, I have chills right now because it's such small world stuff. And, you know, that's one of the things I love about the bowling community is, and I told you, I called you after I got my card. I was like, yo, just small world experience to tell you about. And, you know, it is. It's one of the things I love about the bowling community because it's like, you know, you know, it's only a few degrees of separation and, you know, you kind of know most people. So here's the thing is, and there's probably a lot of people in the chat that watch the show that know Karen from Gil Hodges. Uh, Karen's office was a hangout at the bowling center. Okay. Everybody who bowled juniors love Karen. She's the sweetest, nicest lady. I can't say enough nice things about Karen. Um, so yeah. Uh, she, you got a good one at the at the general manager there at your bowling center. I wish she was a general manager at the center here because um, she knows how to take care of the bowlers. Um, she has customer service. I mean, she's just such a good person. I um, mean, Greg, clearly, you Greg, know, cl- like, Aaron, listen, knows. had no previous relationship to her, didn't know me from Adam. You know, I'd never, never even met me. I called up, asked her about the sports shot. She was more than – happy to accommodate me, you know, said, Hey, I have a, a junior gold league on Friday nights. You can come and I can do a few extra pairs every other way. I said, great. You know? So yeah. I'm, she had so I, much I'm influence glad. in my bowling, like really like, I mean, not on like, you know, the coaching side, but just such a positive like person to be around as a kid, as a bowler. 
Um, you know, she sanctioned my first 300 game when she probably shouldn't have, um, you know, and she's just a great person. So yeah, man, send my love, send my regards. Uh, I'm, I'm jealous, Mike, um, that you, that you get a really just awesome person as your general manager, your bowling center. No doubt. No doubt. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, anybody who's local who might be listening, uh, before to Friday night at seven o'clock, uh, feel free to come out and join us. Knob Hill lane, Knob Hill country lanes on 33. Uh, we'll have a few pairs of sport patterns. Uh, I'll have some, a match set up and we'll be videotaping some stuff. So, uh, so come on out if you want to come out and join us, uh, Rob, it was a hell of an episode, bro. I agree. I, you know, this, this, this one, this one, uh, this one ranks fired, up there for sure. You know, you fired, and that man. wasn't even about that. It was just about the opportunity to discuss things that that usually, you know, I've been building just, up for yeah. It's just us. forty years. <laughs> <laughs> it's just uh, no. Well, listen, that's why I said in the interview too. Like, I'm not going to sit here and blame Chad Murphy for all the no, ills and bowling and all the no. things that are wrong. That's that's that, that's you know to anybody. I don't care whether you're a fan of him or not, you know, that's unfair, okay? Because, you know, this stuff has been going on for decades, decades at this point, okay? Multiple, numerous decades, all right? And and he's only been in this position, uh, you know, for, for less yeah. than a decade. But at a certain point, you are the head honcho, so I think yeah, some so of the questions that we ask are fair. So, Rob, listen, uh, have a great weekend, man. You know, you football, too, everybody enjoy football. Uh, everybody have a good one. And uh, are we coming back at our regular time next week? I don't know. I kind of like Thursdays, bro. Going go, going into the weekend, going into Friday, doing the podcast might might be my new thing. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I think we'll we'll see what happens. We'll talk. We'll uh, I no doubt. Like we'll keep the people updated. Uh, I'm at the one fifth on Twitter. Rob is at Brooklyn Rob Eleven. Uh, sweep the rack yeah. at gmail.com is our email. Hit us up if you. Uh, if you want to talk, and uh, we'll see everybody next week. All right. Peace, guys. You are now listening to Sweep the Rack podcast featuring Brooklyn Rob and Big Mike.